Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmain.com. You guys ready? 1 Corinthians 13, go with me there. 1 Corinthians 13. Um, this morning, um, I want to tell you guys a, a, an older story um, that's going to help make our point uh, this morning. I... How many parents do we have? We have some parents. All right. Um, you guys are like feel the weight that you're like raising small adults, future adults, right? It's like pretty like intense. Like get to raise them, shape them. To, I, I was I was approached by by uh, Mary Fosnow, and she said that my daughter Maggie walked up to her this morning and was like, hey, you have any mints? And she goes, no, I don't have any mints. And Maggie literally looked at her and said, man, you've really been slacking lately. <laughs> I, I'm raising this child. Like, what have I done? Like, what, how, what did I do, you know? And you've really been slacking lately. And um, <laughs> I... Uh, you know, you know what's what's really like terrifying is not only that you're like raising small future adults, um, but that you also look at children and you see their behavior and you see all this stuff and you go, "Oh my gosh, adults aren't that different." You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of dramatized a little bit because kids actually act how they feel, but like we go through the same issue still, you know, and um, like. like Quite a few years ago, my my daughter um, Hattie was five. I think Maggie was three. Um, we were going to the parade of lights in Waterville. And yes. in, in, uh, you guys, come on, it's, it's back. Yes. Come on, the Christmas parade is back. Yes. Can't hold us down. It's coming back. And uh, and so, if you've ever been to the parade of lights, you know that it gets really busy in downtown Waterville, right? And there's not enough parking, and there's you know, like a thousand people come in and they're, they're like parallel parked on curbs and double parked. And, and I mean, it's just, a, it's just a zoo, you know? And so we, we go and, and um, we're running a little bit late and we can't find parking and, and, um, and Santa's coming, you know, like we've got to, we got to get there, you know, and everyone's free. The stress is palpable. You ever been like late to something like a parade and you're worried it's going to start and end and you're going to miss the four wheelers go by or something. And there might even be a bagpiper this year, right? We got to get in there and see it. We don't want the kids to miss it and get their candy and all this different stuff. Right. And so the stress is palpable. And, um, as we're in the car and I'm like going in circles and laps and my wife's like, what about over there? And I'm like, there's no parking, babe. We're going to miss it. She's like, we still got like 10 minutes, man. We're going to find like, No, we're going to have to park. And babe, we're going to miss it. And we're like, the stress is palpable. You know what I mean? You guys been there? Well, as we're doing this and I'm like, I'm getting angry. Don't these people all have better things to do with their night? And instead of leaving us a park spot and, you know, getting all stressed out. And this little voice comes from the back of the car. My, my, my daughter had it. She goes, hey, dad, I want a bunny says, right? And I'm thinking like, okay, babe, thanks for letting me know. Um, we can't really talk about that right now. But dad, I really want a bunny. And I was like, okay, honey, that's amazing. I'm sure we're going to get you one, but that's just not a conversation for right now. What do you mean I can't have a bunny? And I'm, I'm literally trying to reason with this five-year-old. 
Hattie, there, there's, we're, we're going to the parade to see Santa. Don't worry about the bunny. And, and, and she goes, but I really want a bunny, dad. I go, babe, that's just not a conversation for right now. And she starts hysterically crying. What do you mean I can't have a bunny? And I said, I didn't say you can't have a bunny. I just said we're going to a parade. And the most important thing is we find a parking spot and go to the parade. Can you be here and enjoy the parade? And she goes, I can't because I can't have a bunny. I was like, I can't go get you a bunny. I'm taking you to the parade. And I'm trying to reason with her that I'm not saying no. And Shan's even turning around and going, babe, he didn't say no. He just said not right now. And she goes, I don't understand. And this is really important to me. And you know, she's having this like moment. And, and I, I had this like realization, like, like it was hysterical. And I, and I thought in this moment, like, wow, we are just like this all the time. We are just like this all the time. I, I, um, you know, that, that moment that we feel that a promise is delayed according to our time and we question the validity of the promise. And when we're told, I want to focus on something else right now, we hear no. You know? And, and we, we don't do very well with seasons that are yes, but not yet. We, 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 we hear it as no. And, um, you know, as, as, a, as a church community, um, you know, we are an unashamedly excited visionary community that believes that God has so much more. We are believing for revival and awakening. And I, I don't teach my history. I don't teach my ideas. I teach the word of God that is loaded with promises that we have been granted access to the fullness of God, that peace and joy are not seasons. They are unchanging, accessible fruits of the Holy Spirit that are always available in all seasons. It says that he always leads us in triumph, diffusing through us a fragrance of the knowledge of his will. It says that we are becoming what we are beholding and we're gazing upon him as, as if in a mirror, we're gazing upon the glory of the Lord and we are becoming like him, going from glory to glory. How many of you know there's some incredible promises in the scriptures? And in all seasons, whether you feel it or you don't feel it, the promises don't change. And there are moments where like, I want more. And he goes, yes, not yet. And we go, what do you mean no? Since we go through seasons of distance or sometimes seasons of silence and seasons of grief and seasons of pain and seasons of difficulty and his promises have not changed but the process is looking different than we expected. And we all of a sudden start questioning the validity of the promise because we don't experience it in this very moment. I wanna, I wanna talk about living in the tension of the yes, but not yet. Is that all right? Um, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say some, some swirly things. You ready? Stick with me. Um, you will, you will um, there are three days um, that you will experience your entire life. There is yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Those are the only days you'll ever experience. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You are only ever going to live in today, but you'll experience yesterday and tomorrow. Today will always live between yesterday and tomorrow. Yesterday will always be your history and tomorrow will always be a vision. Today will always be the day that lies in between your history and your vision. Today will always be the day that's a process. 
Because it's not just about where you've come from, it's about where you're going. And today is not where you're going, it's just the day in between where you've come from to get to where you're going. Are we okay? Yesterday will always be your history. Your history cannot determine your future, but it can determine your response to today. We can't allow our history, our our today stands between our history and our future, and so our history cannot speak into our, or cannot alter our vision, but it can alter the way that we respond to today. And the way that we respond to today has to be in light of where we are going. Are we, are we okay? You will only ever live in today, but you'll experience yesterday and tomorrow. The, the problem is this, though, is that if we don't ever have a vision for tomorrow, we will only live in relationship with yesterday, which is our history. And when we only live in relationship with our history, we will, uh, we will only live in the apathy and the process of deconstructing or distancing ourselves from our history. But if we live today with vision for tomorrow, we will allow yesterday to conduct how we respond to today in order to set us up for tomorrow. You get what I'm saying? You will only ever live in today. Today is a process. Today is a tension. And in vision is very important. Vision is very important because like I said, if you live in today without vision for tomorrow, you will only have a relationship with your past. But when you live with a awareness of your past, but with a vision for your future, you will say yes today to the process that it requires. I see, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a visionary leader, right? I'm always envisioning where are we going? A little in middle of worship, I was... I didn't mean to do this, but I'm sitting there and I'm worshiping, fully engaged in the Lord, and I get this whole download about what we're going to do over the next six months as a church. Boom, text my staff, can't wait to talk on Tuesday, I got all this stuff. Probably gives them so much anxiety, right? <laughs> but I am always in vision mode, you know, like I, um, I, I can, uh, you know, we were in Cancun this past week, we celebrated 12 years of marriage, my wife and I. We haven't been alone for those many days for four years, so it was a beautiful week, and, and uh, so it was, it was a very good time. Um, but while we were there, you know, I, we didn't talk about church, didn't talk about the future or vision, uh, didn't talk about anything. Uh, I talked about where we were going to eat that day. Uh, God blessed me and broke my phone the first day I got there. Um, if you've never gone on a vacation with a broken phone, I highly recommend it. It was wonderful. Um, and uh, we, could, we were only deciding, you know, those days, what, which beach we're going to lay on, which pool we're going to go to, and which restaurant we're going to eat at. That's all we did for six days. But I promise you this, the moment I got on that plane, I had about two pages of vision for the next six months of our church. You get what I'm saying? This is how I live and I exist and operate. And one of the things that I, as a, as a visionary leader, um, uh, one of the things that I realize about vision by its very nature is that vision carries hope of where we're going and yet also the reality of where we currently are. Vision in its nature is confrontational. You can't have vision without inviting confrontation of that vision into your life because by its very DNA, it carries the hope of where we're going and yet the reality of where we currently are. The confrontation lies within the gap between where we are and where we are going, of where we are and what it's gonna to require to get there. 
You cannot vision about tomorrow and go, I'm ready for tomorrow today. Because the reality is you aren't. The vision for tomorrow tells you how to act today to get ready for tomorrow. Right? And so in that, it's incredibly confrontational in the fact that, that when we are living with vision, we are, we are living with the invitation for personal transformation. If, you, if, if, if uh, vision gives confrontation purpose, confrontation without vision is slander and it produces shame. If I, don't, if I come to you and I go, there is so much more for you. And, and God has so much more joy and so much more peace. And there are confessions that you're making out of your mouth that are so out of alignment with truth. And I come to you and I confront you. Your confessions have stunk, right? And they're not, they're not godly confessions. And they're literally hindering the life of God that has available for you. How many of you guys know that the vision of what God has available for you causes my confrontation to be confrontation of love that's friendship, relational, and it's for your investment, right? But if I come to you and go, dang, the things that you say are terrible. How many of you guys know that without vision, confrontation is slander, and it only produces shame, which is the belief that I'm not enough. And so when we come and we actually have vision saying, there's so much more for you, then it actually makes the environment for confrontation. And so when we actually have vision for the future, God can come in and go, and so we've got to do this so that we can get there. And so when we have vision for our life, it invites confrontation. But when we don't have vision, our relationship is only with our history and our history is always with our mistakes. We recite the past and figure out why we haven't gotten to where we want to get yet. And it produces shame, which is the belief that I'm not enough. And so all of a sudden it comes along and says, what comes out of your mouth is terrible. Okay, I know, I stink, thanks. You guys get what I'm saying? We have to live in the tension of the yes, but not yet. We have to live in the tension with a healthy vision of what God is producing. And this is why we cannot forfeit the promise of where we aren't yet in exchange for comfort to live and exist in today where we're not experiencing it. Is this making sense to everybody? Okay, let me read this to you. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. This is the tension. I know in part, but soon I will fully know. This is the process of growing in our infancy in the Lord, in a maturity in the Lord. How many of you guys know that you're not going to uh, make a deposit into a bank account and then give the pin code to a six-year-old? Why? Because they have not produced the maturity on how to access the, the resources that have been deposited for them, Right? But as you grow as an adult and you experience life and you grow in your values and your stewardship of your life, you are then given access to an account where deposits are being made and you have access to withdraw. And we hope that you have the maturity to deal with it. 
on how to steward that bank account, right? This is, this is the same as you have been given a full access and deposit, but your access will be determined by the maturity that's being increased and expanded in your life. This is the point of the yet, a yes but not yet process and the tension of our life is that God is producing the maturity to actually steward the deposit of the fullness of himself in your life. Isaiah 30, 18 says, therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice and blessed are all those who wait for him. The tension of waiting through the process is yes, but not yet moments are intentional and significant seasons of life that we have to identify and engage appropriately. And so I, I, wanna, I wanna look at the way that we live day in and day out with a promise of the future, with an expectancy that God is going to release a fullness of himself in the ways that he has promised through his word to us and hold it with intention. How do we hold it every single day to extract what God wants to do in that season of tension in our life? And so I'm gonna give you two things. Now, but here's what we have to say about these two things. I'm gonna give them in numerical order, right? Number one and number two. But I need you to understand that I'm not giving number one because it's most important and number two because it's second. I'm saying number one, number two because I can't say two things at the same time. But they are equally to be held right here in the tension of our life that we do two things at the exact same time. You guys ready for it? The number one, number one, not the number one thing, the number, number one thing I wanna say is that we have to learn how to be content. All right, in Philippians 4 verse 11, uh, Paul says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content. Everyone say content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. All right, what we have to understand is that being content, this is very important. I'm I'm gonna split some hairs here. But what we have to understand is that what it means to be content is, is that I am not imprisoned by my circumstances. I have not allowed my circumstances to write the narrative of my worth. To be content means I have a foundational identity in the Lord that is not moved by the circumstances that I am currently walking through. It means that I, I, it doesn't, uh, to be content doesn't embrace pain or injustice. It doesn't mean to validate pain as, an, as authored by God. It doesn't author my pain, but, he, but God doesn't author my pain, but he does author my response. And to, to walk through life doesn't mean that God has authored the brokenness of the humanity in the world, in the life, and the experiences I am walking through every single day. But what it does mean is that he is an ever-present help in times of trouble and that he is the author of revelation for us to walk through what he promised and guaranteed we would experience in this life and became a forerunner in himself to experience it and then actually overcome it and experience death on the cross and victory 
victory over sin, death, and the grave. He walked through that life so that we would have access to a spirit of revelation saying, you're going to go through difficult and hard seasons. Every single one of you will. You will experience the fallout of the brokenness and the sinful nature of humanity in the world. But I am here to give you revelation and understanding so that daily as you look at me, that you would increase in my likeness and come into awareness of who I am and who you are in me. And that in that, that you would overcome the world. This makes sense. It does not mean that he authors my pain, but he is the author of revelation in response to the very real conditions of the world around me. I don't have to give credit to anyone for my pain in order to extract revelation in it. It it means to be content means to be independent of external circumstances. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. In order to be free, I know we look at freedom like that means free from sin. I wanna tell you this, it does not just mean free from sin. It also means free from my carnal nature, free from humanity, free from circumstances and situations. It means that there's an ever present peace that surpasses all understanding, that there is a joy in the Lord that will be my my strength, that there are resources from heaven that will always be available to me and they are not dependent on the circumstances around me. They have no power over the condition of my soul because I am fully yielded and submitted to the Lord. And so that means that if I go through want or I go through plenty, it doesn't matter. I find that all my strength is in the Lord and I can do all things through him because he's the resource of my life and nothing else gets to author my identity and who I am. I am content in all things. It's making sense. I think often as we called content is, I just take my lot that's been handed me in life and just be okay with it. I wanna tell you this, contentment is not, a, uh, is not a, a false humility submission to the external circumstances of your life. It is an ever-present awareness of the power of God who he says that you are and nobody and nothing gets to say anything different. I am content. It's incredibly victorious. Are we all right? We have to learn how to be content, unmoved by the situations that we face. Equally, we have to know how to press in. Philippians 3.12 says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. He's saying, I'm not there yet. All right, look at me. I'm not there yet. There's more. Can everyone say there's more? We don't have to forfeit the vision for more to be content with where we are. There's more. And he goes, uh, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I'm pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to be taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straying towards what is ahead, yesterday and tomorrow, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There is more. I'm content. I I know that I'm right where God has me. I'm learning, I'm extracting, I'm allowing where that I'm not there yet to be confrontational. I'm receiving it with vision and excitement, but man, there's more and I'm pressing it until I get it. Oh man, I prayed for the sick and they didn't get healed. Man, maybe he doesn't heal all who are sick and oppressed with demons. Scripture says that he did heal all who are sick and oppressed with demons. The disciples said that everybody was, was healed that they prayed for him. And so here I am to say this, is is I can't forfeit truth to be comfortable with today. I have to be content with where I am, but contend there's more. 
I'm going to get breakthrough. He's not the problem. I will stand here and say, I have to grow in my maturity so that I can withdraw from the bank account that he's given me access to. My maturity will determine my access. So I'm submitting my life to the confrontation of the Lord. Lord, deal with me so that I can grow in my knowledge and understanding and increase my maturity to have the more that I know that you've promised. Yes, but not yet. It doesn't mean he's saying no. It just means he's saying, I'm doing something different. Can you see how fun and enjoyable this is right now? I want to press in. It's to live with the ever-present awareness and hope of the circumstances are going to change. It is to apply consistent effort and energy to seeing your breakthrough, contending over the patterns of your thought, the confessions of your lips, and the responses to the tension. There are always going to be opportunity where you're like, God, I know that there's so much more. Why am I so depressed in this season? What are you teaching me? What are you? And, and, you know, and he comes in and he goes, I want to teach you that your confessions suck. But I'm just a realist. God is really how it is. I want my buddy. Right? But the reality is he comes in, he's saying, I want your confessions to align with my promise, not your history. It says in Romans, it says, it says, against all hope, Abraham had hope and he did not waver in unbelief because of the deadness of his wife's womb or his old age, but he was persuaded that God was able to do what he said he was going to do. And, he, and, and it says, against all hope, he became the father of many nations. He fulfilled the very promise in his life. Maybe God is actually wanting to align your beliefs and your confessions with what hasn't happened yet instead of you confessing what you've already seen and experienced. And he's going, I'm not going to actually move on from the season of this tension until you align yourself to truth because I'm gonna partner with your belief and your faith, not partner with your unbelief and your, and your lack of faith. This is a good season, man. And he goes, I have so much more for you. Let's get those confessions corrected. Right? He didn't say no. He just said, we're going to a parade first. Go get your bunny, man. Okay? Many people do not experience increased measures of the presence of God in their life because in the moments of tension, they forfeit belief to preserve themselves from disappointment. Too many theologies have been created from disappointment and not from faith. We have too many preachers that preach from their experience and not from their lack of experience. I will preach the dead have been raised even though I have only seen a measure of it. You you get what I'm saying? I will preach the power of God that I've not experienced yet because the word of God says it true. My experience does not give me license to preach something I haven't experienced. I have license to preach the truth. And when I preach the truth, it might become prophetic and shape a world that we get to then walk in. Are you hearing me? But when I preach from experience, I'll probably preach from lack because I need to be more acquainted with my vision than I am with my history. What we have to understand is that if we have contentment without pressing in, it's apathy. And withdraw and access what God is doing in every season, even the yes but not yet tensions and seasons of our life. This, this is the tension, to believe for breakthrough while remaining content where you are. In Hebrews, I'm going to read two verses for you, then we're going to be done. You guys all right? Yeah. All right. This is so important. Because we have to learn how to do this as um, we've been in a really fun season of renewal, right? And God's been doing some crazy, wild, fun stuff in the church. 
And some are experiencing it and some don't. And then another Sunday, some experience it and some don't. And then you have seasons where it's happening and seasons where it's not happening. And we can't actually resent one season to have another. We have to be content and believe for more. And so even if God brings us into a new season where things that were, were happening all of a sudden lift and they're not happening, we have to be those that are not in resentment because things change in front of us, but because we know that God's doing something and we know how to withdraw from this season what God is doing and then create vision for what he's about to do. The thing about a move of God is that moves of God keep moving. You don't camp out and build an altar to the past. You actually go, thanks for what you're doing. What are you about to do? Because I want to be in the forefront of how you're moving. And so in order to do that, we actually have to know how to exist in the tensions of seasons, the yes, but the not yet. Let me read these two verses to you. Hebrews 2, verse 8. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see all things that are under him, but we see Jesus. I'm going to read that again. Stay there with me. You ready? For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not under him. But right now we do not see all things put under him, but we see Jesus. Everyone say, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Everything's under his feet. We don't see it under, under his feet, but we see Jesus. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, that we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. It says that we're the children of God, but we don't know what that means. But we do know that when he is revealed, we are revealed in his likeness. The point of both these things, there's a tension as we look at the world. It's not like what he promised it would be. It's the yes, but not yet. We look at ourselves and it's not what he promised it would be. It's the yes, but not yet. But the key to both of them is this, is that Jesus would be revealed in the midst of the tension of it all. We don't see everything under his feet, but we see Jesus. I don't see myself fully yet what he's called me to be, but I see Jesus. And when I see him, I'll be revealed in his likeness. This is the, the whole point of what God wants to do in the tensions of, of seasons is not to reveal you, to reveal the world, to reveal his plans. He wants to reveal himself to you. Every measure of growth and maturity is connected to our revelation of who he is. There's no revelation that has anything to do with you. Everything has to do with Jesus. Jesus is the centrality of all existence. He will never cause a movement to reveal people or to reveal a church or to reveal a movement. God will never show up in revival in Oakland, Maine to reveal Kingdom Life Church. Never, not once. He will only come to reveal himself. He will come upon you to reveal himself. He will show up in seasons to reveal himself. He will actually become silent in seasons to reveal himself. He will actually show up in grief to reveal himself. He will show up in pain to reveal himself. He will never do it to reveal anything but himself. Everything's under his feet. We don't see it all, but we see Jesus. I'm a child of God. I don't know fully what that means, but I see Jesus and I'm showing up with him. Everything is about the revelation 
of Jesus Christ. He is the center of it all. It will always be about him. And you, you, go, you want a fast track to ending a move of God? Make it about anything but Jesus and you will end a move of the Holy Spirit. The moment a group of people experience God and they slap structure and titles and logos on it, it kills it instantly. It's always going to be about Jesus. It always has been and it always will be. The longing and the desire of God's heart is affection with man and that affection would lead to his likeness. God longs for you to be like him and to accomplish uh, this. Uh, he, he, and to accomplish this, he uses tensions and seasons of waiting. God wants to produce by you seeing him produce himself in you so that when you walk into a fallen and broken world, you become a, 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 an exact representation, a shining glory, a measurable encounter with him and not you. How many of us know that the end of, at the end of it all, we don't want a world that goes, wow, the church is so powerful. Conservatives were right. Well, morality is, is great. The goal at the end of it all has to be Jesus is worthy of it all. And, and what God is producing is he's producing his likeness inside of you. And it will always be the defining attribute of all seasons of tension and waiting is God wants to reveal himself to you. And he will do it in the tension of the vision of what he has and where he's going and the not yet moments of life. Is that all right? Why don't you guys stand with me? You know, I, I, I really do believe that um, so many scientific things um, in our world were created by God as measurable examples of himself. <clears throat> I know that gold is purified by refining. And I know diamonds are created by pressure. And I, I have to believe that that God would not create a system in the world that beauty is created from and then not do the same within himself. And to create beautiful things through seasons that don't make sense. Create beautiful things in us through seasons that feel hard and difficult. I, I am now 18 years in like, senior leadership pastoral ministry 18 years because that's half of my life I'm 36 years old I'm young that's half of my flipping life and I can say I can honestly say I just got invited to um, speak at you know at uh, Bethel Church uh, BSSM their school of ministry and they're asking me what's the title of your message going to be and um I think I'm gonna, I think like the message for church planters and pioneers is, is recognizing that the most fruitful seasons of pastoral ministry will be the seasons of the, of the greatest difficulty and learning how to feast with God while sitting at the tables of your enemies. And I am, I am, I am convinced 
God does some wild and fun things that make no sense. But I've watched the process too significantly, time and time and time again, that conflict, difficulty, hardship, trials, grief, pain, loss, silence, wandering, confusion, are literally the seedbeds of fruitfulness. I've become irreverent when people come to me. And I don't mean to be, it's completely accidental, but I've become completely irreverent. People come to me saying, this is what's going on. And I go, yay, what a sweet opportunity for God to show his glory. People get so offended. I don't mean it like, yay, this happened to you, but I'm, I'm so convinced that these are the doorways of opportunity, the knocking of the Lord to say, I have a feast of revelation for you in this season. And oh, if we, if we would be a people that know how to eat in all seasons of life and how to actually carry the tension of pressing in and contentment in all seasons, I'm telling you, oh, we would be a church that bears fruit in season and out of season. All seasons of life, we'd become the, the leaves of healing to the nations. Why don't you put a hand on the person next to you?